it's part of human nature that we want to kind of corner the market. We want to corner the market on things. We want to, in that sense, have things to ourselves. And it is kind of a selfish thing. It's, it's human nature, and that's because as humans, we do have a selfish aspect to our character that hopefully the Lord wants to overcome. And it is seen, it shows up when you have something or perhaps you discover something that's really great and you want to kind of have that for yourself. You want to kind of hold that and keep it to yourself. In, there is a movie that hopefully you've seen uh, called Chasing Mavericks. Anybody have seen that movie, Chasing Mavericks? And in the movie, okay, so if you haven't seen it, yeah, write that down, put that in your notes. Um, you need a good recommendation from the pastor for movie night. That's it, Chasing Mavericks, based on a true story about a young man who learned how to, to surf, was a very good surfer, and actually was trained how to surf uh, big waves, large waves. And by large waves, I mean 25, 30, 35, 40 feet, foot waves. So in the beginning of the movie, you see that this guy, Frosty, he's an older gentleman uh, that this young boy meets up with. And he and his friends have this surf spot and they go up there and this is probably in the late 80s or so. Uh, or, early, or some, maybe in the 90s. And they had go, been going up to this surf spot, and it's called Mavericks. And the general public is not necessarily clued in uh, to this, that it's this big thing, and they're wanting to kind of keep that to themselves. And um, that all changes when Jay actually hitches a ride on the top of Frosty's van and goes out there at the crack of dawn when they're going out to surf this surf break. And uh, then it's just a matter of weeks where Frosty trains him how to surf the break there, and he's on the front cover of Surfer Magazine, and it's a whole wild thing. So suddenly, every, everything is, uh, everyone's well aware of Mavericks. Uh, just a few weeks, or a few couple years ago, uh, Apple actually had one of their operating systems named after the break out there called Mavericks. If you have an Apple computer, you probably had Mavericks operating system lo loaded on your computer. But just like that, wanting to keep something to ourselves, um, there are, believe it or not, there are people that can be like that with salvation. They can kind of be like that with salvation. And the Jews actually kind of were like that. They kind of felt like, well, you know, we're God's special people. We're the ones that God loves. We're the ones that God uh, has a special place for in his life. Uh, we're the ones that are going to ultimately be saved in that sense. But what Paul is wanting to bring out is that God's mercy is extended to every single person across the world, and not just the Jews, but to all people. And so God has offered this salvation, and so he brings out some specific arguments, specific statements to get this across to the Romans, and it's a good reminder for us. You say, well, what's the reminder for us? Is that we've got to constantly be reminded that God's good news is for everyone. And you say, well, I know that, and I'm really gracious, and I'm really merciful, and I want people to be saved. And then if we're being honest, sometimes we think maybe God can't save them, or God 
is campy for them. And God is for even the people that are just waving their fist at him right now. He's not willing that any would, anyone would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. Amen? Amen. So let's t- take a look at this. The gospel is for everyone. Let's look at it. Pick it up, verse uh, 11 of chapter 11. It says this. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So God's mercy is extended to all, extended to everyone. And and this certainly is the message that, that God wants to have everyone understand, for the Jews and the Gentiles. He asked the question, have they fallen beyond recovery or if, is this their, have they fallen to their absolute uh, detriment? Uh, the answer is certainly not. But then he goes on to explain what has transpired as a result of the falling away of the Jews, the rejection of God by the Jews. Their rejection of God and specifically Christ has brought about salvation to the Gentiles. That, that, that this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is being offered to the Gentile world, to the Gentile people. And this is, echoes really what Paul said from the beginning of this book. From the very first chapter, you'll remember, and this is a very famous verse of scripture in the first chapter, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, right? So he says, for the Jew first. Most of the time when we read that verse, we're concentrating on the first part of it about not being ashamed of the gospel. But I'm, try- I'm actually kind of drawing our attention to the last part of it where Paul says, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Because salvation was of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. It came through the Jews. God used the Jewish people to bring about his plan. Amen? He chose Abraham and created a nation, created a people, and brought his Messiah into the world, the Christ, into the world through the Jews. So salvation is of the Jews, is first for the Jews, But then he says, also for the Greek. So the Jews' rejection of God, rejection of Christ, is that which has opened it up to the Gentile people. He goes on. The Jews' rejection, he says, is riches to the world. Riches to the world. This has been such a good thing for the Gentile world to receive the gospel. He says it's riches. It's riches to the world. And this is um, what the gospel is. It's good news. 
It is, you know, the gift of God. It's the it's got to be the most valuable thing that there is, right? I mean, you know, if you're going to say you're going to quantify the value of anything, if you understand the gospel and what it is, you'd say, well, the gospel is the most valuable thing that there is because it is salvation. It's salvation of the soul. It's salvation of your life. And, and so in that sense, Paul says the Jews' rejection is riches to the Lord or to the world. The, Jewish, the, the Jews' failure in that sense. He, and he calls their, their you know, kind of disobedience, their, their disbelief, their rejection of Christ is their failure really. But it's riches for the Gentiles. These riches are blessings, and, and, uh, and they, were, they were first for the Jews, but it's become a blessing to, to those who weren't of the Jewish faith. And this kind of echoes like one of the parables that Jesus taught in Matthew 22. Remember he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is, uh, had a wedding feast for his son. And they made the preparations and they made the plans and they sent out people to go out and invite those people that were on the guest list. But they rejected the message of the, the messengers, the people that were sending out the invitations to the guest list. In fact, they were harsh with them and treated them wrong. And to the point where Jesus, getting across in the parable, he says, they wouldn't come. The people that were on the guest list, they wouldn't come. And so they come back to the master, and the master says, just go out to the highways and byways and ask them to come in. And so they go out to the highways and byways and invite all these other people to come in. And Jesus says, and the the wedding feast was full. The wedding feast was full. So that is all to say is that here you had all these people that were supposed to be there. They rejected it. And their rejection was to the benefit, to the rich, to the riches, to the better for this whole other crowd of people that have now been invited to the wedding. Amen? So that is to our benefit as Gentiles, if you're a Gentile here tonight. And I guess if you're a Gentile and you come into Christ, then you really become part of the true seed of Abraham, right? So you, you become part of what it truly means to be a Jew, which is one inwardly. Paul says a Jew, a true Jew is one inwardly, not only outwardly. See, they always pointed toward the outward. It was a nationality, really. It was a ethnicity in that sense. But Paul would say in other letters, to be a Jew is to be one inwardly, right? But their rejection, the Jews' rejection, was to the, rich, the riches of the Gentile people. But then he closes it off on the end of that. He says, but what, would, what is going to be, what is it going to mean when their fullness comes in, when the Jews, when that remnant of Jews comes back to Christ, when they recognize who Jesus is, it's going to be an incredible blessing. Like whatever the blessing, think of the blessing 
of the church. Do you feel like the church is a blessing? And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, we have, it, it, I don't think it can be said enough. There's one church, yeah. right? Yeah. We have all these local outposts, so to speak, right? We have all these local outposts uh, of the church, but there's only one church. There's only one bride of Christ. And, and so it's been a major blessing to the world. It's been a major blessing to the world. You think of all the things that the church does and meeting people's needs and doing things. I mean, you look back at the history of this country and you look at all that the church has done from the beginning. It was the church, it was the Christians who established uh, most of the hospitals and most of the orphanages and most of these things that were caring for the poor and, and the sick and the infirmed. If you go across the country, you walk into a lot of, a lot of the hospitals or, you know, there's the, the, the Seventh-day Adventist hospitals, there's the, the Catholic hospitals, there's the, you know, it's the church. If something happens in the world today, if there's a tragedy, if there's some type of a tsunami that hits, what was it, Thailand, that one that hit after Christmas? Remember that one? Who is it that comes in like a flood with, with trust me, and I'm not putting them down, it's not the Muslim nations. It's not Islam that's responding with billions of dollars and care and, and, and Samaritan's purse and, and all that. It's, 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 it's the church that's responding, and the church is a blessing. So how much more of a blessing, Paul says, is it going to be when the fullness of the remnant of Jews fully come in? That is going to be an awesome thing to behold. Paul wishes to provoke to jealousy the Jews so that some might be saved. He's hoping that it, with the blessing that the, that the, the church is and the blessing that has come to the church, that that is somehow provoking, um, I guess, a good jealousy. <laughs> a jealousy that would motivate them to say, hey, I want in on that. You know, I want, I want to be a part of that. And it just, it kind of is a message to us to be the type of Christian that represents uh, Christ and the good news in such a way that someone would feel that in their heart. Um, Pastor Chuck Smith, when he, would, when he was alive, when he would talk with Jewish people, one of the things he would do is he would try to tell them how wonderful their Messiah was. <laughs> even though they had rejected him, right? They didn't even accept Jesus as the Messiah. But, oh, oh, the Jewish Messiah is so wonderful. And he would just begin to build up how wonderful. The, and, and, and just kind of going with kind of Paul's idea here of just trying to even maybe provoke them to jealousy and wanting to accept Christ as their personal Savior. When a Jewish person accepts Christ after having been part of the rejection, it is like life from the dead. They've literally come back. They were part of the Jewish people. They were part of the plan of God, that nation. But then they went to rejection and death, and now they've come back um, from the dead in that sense. So the gospel is for everyone and it's been offered to uh, the Gentiles 
And, and this is what God's doing, and God's going to bring everyone in that he, that is wanting to, to come in. Um, then Paul goes on in verse 16 with this argument centered around the first fruits. So let's go over to verse 16. Paul says this, For if the first fruits is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will then say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So Paul makes this argument, this kind of first fruits argument. Um, and it's kind of this idea that, that it is a temporary thing, that the Jews, you know, he's already said it, they're, they're kind of, they're, their eyes are blinded, so to speak, they're, they've been, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of in a stupor, they're, they're just kind of not seeing it, they're not getting it, um, just all these things are kind of working against them in that sense. And, but there is going to come a time when they're, they're going to they're come back. There, there, there is going to be that remnant that is going to come in of the Jews. So the, the first fruits argument is that there, there is a first fruit that is holy, and then the, the subsequent harvest is holy. Now, we talked about a first fruits of the resurrection and the subsequent harvest. Paul's kind of making a different argument here where there's a first fruits of the gospel. And there are some, well, let me, let me say this. Some commentators actually take this to mean the first fruits were, are literally like the patriarchs. So taking the first fruits argument all the way back to like Abraham himself and Isaac and Jacob and saying those guys were the first fruits and now we're, we're living in this time and so on and so forth. I think a, a, a decent interpretation also is that the first fruits of the response to the gospel uh, was also Jewish. And, you know, when you look at the, 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 the early converts to, to Christianity, um, they were all Jewish. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, that's part of what is brought out, what Luke brings out in the book of Acts, is that you have, uh, you know, 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. The church is born, um, and, and they were all Jews coming in to celebrate the feast of weeks, the feast of Pentecost. And so, and then for the next few chapters, there's this, the, all the ministry taking place in, in Judea and in, in Galilee and all the way up to Antioch, right? And so, so that's what's happening. And then, and then, of course, then you have chapter nine happen. And a man named Saul gets saved. And the next thing you know, he's coming in and, and, and saying that, he's, that, that God has spoken to him and he's called to be a, a messenger, an apostle to the Gentiles. And of course, 
you know, some people didn't accept him. They did, you know, who is this? This is the guy that was persecuting Christians. This is the guy that literally was like, uh, you know, holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen in chapter seven. And now he's saying that he's gonna be the, the messenger of God, the apostle to the Gentiles. So you had Barnabas come in who kind of laid his hand and gave him the right arm of fellowship and said, you know, this, 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 this is a true, genuine conversion to Christ. And so then you have this whole thing that happens in chapter 10 where you have Peter who goes down to Joppa and has the vision on, the, on Simon the Tanner's roof, right? He's at Simon the Tanner's house. He's out on the roof and he kind of just kind of, I guess, takes a nap and he receives this vision. The next thing he knows, he's up the coast in Caesarea preaching the gospel to a bunch of Gentiles, yeah. right? So it was literally what God did in bringing the vision to Peter, the, the, the sheet coming down out of heaven with the animals on it and saying, rise, kill, and eat. And he told him three times. The next thing he knows, there's the knock at the door of Cornelius' men wanting to escort him back to Caesarea. So he gets up there, he begins to proclaim the gospel to Cornelius and his men. And while, they, while he was talking, while he was speaking, they received Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, this freaked out <laughs> the, a lot of the apostles, a lot of the disciples, to the point where, where Peter, this isn't even Paul, this is Peter. This is the one that, Pete, that Jesus said, you are, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's him. And he has to explain to the rest of them, look, these Gentiles are receiving the gospel just exactly like we did. We heard it, we received it, we believed it. They're being filled with the Spirit. They're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was through that process that, that God opened up the gospel to the Gentile world, amen? So then there's going to be this, this whole... Um, you know, that, that subsequent harvest. So you have the first fruits and then you have the, the subsequent harvest. Um, so then he goes into this argument about the branches. And he says, look, if, 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 if you've been grafted into the olive tree because some branches kind of broke off, you know, you can't, you know, look down your nose and say, oh, uh, you know, and boast against the branches. He says, don't boast against the branches that fell away. He says, fear, fear, because God, by his mercy, by his grace, has brought you into a tree. You're like a wild offshoot here. And he's literally brought you into a, to the olive tree and grafted you into the tree. And he says, they fell away in disbelief, and you stand in faith. This, to me, when I read this, seems to be, and I'm sure the Calvinists have a rationale to explain how this isn't showing that you can disbelieve and be cut off. Yeah. But it seems to me a pretty clear-cut argument that that's possible. Not only that, but he says if you believe, he says you could be cut off. He says you stand in faith. One of the Calvinist arguments for dis, disbelieving in the, the fact that someone could, could become apostate and walk away is they'll say things like, well, they were never truly saved, right? right? Yeah. 
So they'll say they were never truly saved. But that's not what Paul says here in Romans 11, what we just read. He actually says, you stand by faith. But you could be cut off if you go the same route that these other people do. If you end up in apostasy, you could also be cut off too. I tend to believe that salvation is totally of Christ's doing, of God's doing. He bought and paid for your salvation. He did the, the complete work of salvation. But there is something that we participate with in salvation, and that is believing and putting our faith and allegiance in Christ. And you've heard me on this, right? It's not just believing in Christ, you know, because James says the demons believe and tremble. So it's not this kind of, well, I believe that this is, or I believe it's even true. It's literally putting your trust in it, putting your trust in the gospel and having an allegiance to Christ. This is, this is say, salvation faith. And, and if that's what it is, then I think you can, un, you can walk away from that. You can walk away from that. Just as you can, be, you can have an allegiance to a per, another person, and then for whatever reason, there's some type of a breach in the relationship or whatever, and you, you no longer have that allegiance to them. And it's the same way with God. If God wanted to create a bunch of automatons, he could have simply done that. Which is what they're going to do when they create all these robots. <laughs> when they create all these AI robots... Oh, it's coming, folks. We don't even know. Oh, my goodness. I remember back, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years ago now when I remember the movie I, Robot. Yeah. I really liked that movie. Um, and there was, there was a lot that I liked about it. One, one thing in particular is that the robots were actually called Nestor. <laughs> <laughs> Go look it up. The Nestor Class 5 was the robot. And, um, but look, if he wanted to do that, he could, in fact, that whole movie is about whether the robot can actually disobey the rules that were given to the robot. The entire movie is about that. And so if you miss the deeper kind of philosophical even theological point of that movie, you think, oh, it was just a Will Smith movie about robots getting out of control. And what was his name? Sonny, the robot that went rogue. <laughs> but that's actually what was going on. Can you disbelieve? Can you disobey the rule? And that's exactly what God's given us in giving us a free will. Amen. So that's why Paul says here, yeah, they, they disbelieved, so you, you, should be, you, should, you should just live your life in fear of a holy God knowing that you stand in faith. In fact, look at that once again. I just want to read that again because I think it's so important. Um, verse uh, 20, 
well said, he says, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand in faith. So they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand in faith. But do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness of God uh, and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness seems to be that you could not continue in his goodness, right? If you, there's salvation. You can be secure in your salvation. It's called, it is a, a perseverance. It's a perseverance in faith. It's continuing to, to believe. It's continuing to trust. It's continuing to, continuing in his goodness. Amen? So, you know, and, and then he kind of closes that section off. We need to be thankful for the tree and the root. We're coming in, we're grafted, we're branches literally that have been grafted into this vine, into this tree. And we need to be thankful for the tree, <laughs> you know, and that we're literally um, benefiting off of this thing in a major way. And then he goes on um, to wrap it up by saying that forgiveness is possible for those who are living in unbelief or whatever kind of apostate situation that they're living in. Go back to verse 22 again. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in to their own tree, to their own olive tree? So basically he's making the argument that forgiveness is available. We're still living in the time of God's mercy. We're still living in the time of God's grace if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. So in other words, the Jews who have rejected and have been cut off, these branches that have been cut off, will they still have an opportunity to be grafted in again? So that seems to make the point even more. In other words, you had branches that were in the tree part of the tree cut off but then they can be they can they can turn away from their disbelief their unbelief and come back to God and receive him and put their trust their allegiance in him and be grafted back into the tree so and of course God of course Jesus talks all about this right you know he mentioned this idea in the upper room the night that he celebrated Passover with his disciples the night he was arrested, right? One of the things he said to them, if you look at the upper, what they call the upper room discourse, there's a lot there. It's one of the, one of the lengthier passages of the, of the words of Christ. The, the Sermon on the Mount, you have the, the Temple Mount discourse in Matthew 22 to 24, 25, 
And then you have the upper room discourse in John 13 to 16, right? One of the things he says is what he says in chapter 15, which is, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You need to continue in the vine. The vine can't, if you cut the branch off the vine, it's going to wither up and die. So the, vine, the branch has to be connected. And it's connected through abiding. He says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And that's what it means to just continue in the, in the goodness of God. If indeed you continue in his goodness, just abiding in him. To learn how to just abide with him, abide with him. We talked about it. That was the message on Sunday night, was dwelling with Jesus, living with Jesus. He's come down to dwell with us. And, you know, it's not always a bowl of cherries. Life isn't always a bowl of cherries. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not always a primrose path. It, sometimes there's stuff that happens. Sometimes there's just all kinds of stuff that you have to deal with. And you just, there's drama. <laughs> with, you know, with, with in, 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 in your family and in your, your job. And, you know, and you're just dealing with all this drama all the time. And you're just like, look, I'm done with all this drama. Right? I just want to abide with Christ. Amen. You know the good thing about Jesus? You know one of the good things about Jesus? There's no drama with Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Tweet that one out. Tweet that one out. There's only goodness. There's only goodness with abiding with him, with continuing him. There's no drama. Amen? So continue abiding in the tree. Um. And then he wraps this up, and we're basically done. If the Jews turn back from their unbelief, God will forgive them. Paul says he will graft them back into the tree that they were originally a part of. So it's a dangerous place to be out there. Right? Just, you know cut off. You've cut yourself off. Really. Cut off from the, from the vine. And that's just a dangerous, dangerous spot. And you don't want to be out there. But, for who, but whosoever would find themselves out there, there's still forgiveness available. They can still be grafted into the tree. Amen? Amen. For the Gentile, you can be as a wild olive shoot, you can be grafted in to God's, you know, olive tree, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a Jew, you can be grafted in to the, to the tree that is the tree of, of your people. You can be grafted in. If the Jews turn back from their unbelief, God will forgive them. Um. You know, I think that there's the principle is that we're living in a time of grace, we're living in a time of mercy. And, you know, if you go back to like Noah, if you go back to Noah's time and, you know, God told him, look, you know, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a flood. There's going to be a deluge. I want you to build this ark. 
And so he builds this ark for 120 years. And everybody is just mocking and just, you know, just ridiculing and everything, right? But the whole time, that was just, you know, the, the, the picture is that there's, there's, there's grace, there's mercy to be had for anyone who comes to the mercy of God. God is merciful. God is merciful, God is graceful. And I think one of the things, and I just want to throw this out here because I just got a couple couple minutes before we wrap it up here. You know, people like to say, well, you know, I like the God of the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament, you know, right? Well, let me tell you something. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament and the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. And if you look at what God, the God of the Old Testament said about himself, when, when God, when Moses came to him and said, I want to see you, I want to sh- show me your glory, and he says, and then it says, and, and the name of God was declared to Moses. When you declare the name of God, it's basically like telling, it's basically what is declared to you is everything that he is. Because his name is I am, that I am, right? And what was told him? He's abounding in love and mercy. He's slow to anger. Abounding. I mean, Gail Irwin, if you've been around Calvary Chapel at all and you know the name Gail Irwin, this is one of his famous passages that he loved to preach. And he would always say, he's slow to anger, abounding in in mercy, right? Well, that's the God of the, the Old Testament. That's, that's Exodus. And you have to understand that. So the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, same God, same grace, same mercy. There, is, there was a time that God did shut the door of the ark, right? And I always like to bring that out, you know, trivia, piece of trivia. Who shut the door of the ark, of Noah's ark? God shut the door. So Jesus actually says, I am the door. I am the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. Come, you come through the door. You come through to life through him. Amen. And that door is wide open. We're living in a time right now where that door is wide open and you've got people coming in. You've got Kanye West coming in. And you've got, he just had an altar call where like, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 people just passed this past week. People are coming in. You know, God knows who's are his. You know, I put a tweet out on on Twitter. The 60s revival reached the hippies. This next revival is going to reach the hip hoppers. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Isn't that interesting? The 60s revival reached the hippies. This next wave is going to reach the hip hoppers. And it's going to come in a way that a lot of people... Okay, if you go back to the early days of Calvary Chapel, you go back to the Jesus movement, oh, there were people that were just freaked out. They couldn't handle it. you know. And, and then the, the guys were coming in getting saved and they were writing songs. There's a song called Little Country Church. Look it up on your Apple, on your Apple Music or your Spotify. You know, 
little country church on the edge of town, long hair, short hair, some coats and ties. This is, you know, people just were just, what's going on? You know, and then people started bringing guitars into the church and drums, you know, and all this. And this next thing is going to flip people out too. This next thing is going to be, well, this isn't of the Lord. This can't be. You can't do hip-hop and this and whatever. Well, get ready. Get ready. Because Jesus is the door, and his door of grace is open to whosoever will call.